Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with a special guest, Jamie Greaves, who's a fitness professional. He specifically works with golfers at JG Golf Fitness, where he does in-person and has an app where he helps people get into the best shape of their lives, as well as improving their performance on the course. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. I always start off by asking, how'd you get into golf? So this one's an interesting one for me. Um, I have a slightly unusual story. Um, I grew up, obviously, in the UK. I played pretty much every sport going over here so rugby cricket soccer or football for us and I had a condition when I was kind of eight nine years old and called Perthes disease in my left hip where I kind of the bone almost starts to kind of disintegrate so I was actually kind of not allowed to play any sports that involved running or risk of contact which pretty much eliminates most sports. Um, so I actually ended up, that's how I got into golf, um, by kind of accident, really. Um, and that was kind of 20 years ago now. Um, so that's, that's my story into golf. Okay. So um, being a physical therapist, do you have AVN or avascular necrosis from that? Um, I, I have no idea. Really. <laughs> okay. No, I, you I don't. don't. If you don't know that that is, then you don't. Because um, normally, you know, with that, with that disease, what, what happens is it kind of, it's not getting the adequate blood flow like you mentioned. And, yeah. And so that, that essentially the bone starts to kind of decay or, or, or die, and lack of mm-hmm. a better term. And, and so that's just got a fancy word of avascular necrosis, meaning it dies because it doesn't have blood flow. Um, but Yeah. So, I mean, I had probably nearly two years I think because I obviously I was so young um I, I almost had to wait for the kind of the bone to to kind of disintegrate and then come back essentially obviously it grew um but I, I obviously have quite a limited range of motion etc through my left hip um but it was a sport that involved no contact so that's how I was able to at least play some sport because I very competitive person so when they say you can't play sport that was not the best news for me yeah right okay so it was kind of a process of elimination for you at least (laughs) yeah so I mean it obviously I didn't know back then that 20 years later it was going to be um pretty much my whole life golf um so they kind of things happen for a reason so maybe looking back it was a it was a good thing 
All right, so I'm gonna have to dive deeper into this. Uh, so, you got your, are you right-handed golfer? Yep. All right, so that's your that's your uh, lead leg, and you say you don't you mm-hmm. have limited movement. How does that affect your your golf swing? Um, I would say no, not really. Um, I have, I've worked quite hard on my range of motion in my left hip, and um, so I probably on a good day can get. 10 to 15 degrees of internal rotation um which having worked with um a fair few golfers now is a lot more than some of them yeah and my right hip obviously moves a lot better um but i've always been of the opinion that i will try and maintain as much range of motion strength and just quality of joint and in the left side, it's never going to be, I'm never going to be an Olympic gymnast, but the better I can make that um, hip, um, the better position I'm going to be in. Um, I think it's actually a helpful thing for me personally in working with clients. So a, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, maybe fitness coaches, they move so well all those kind of things. Whereas maybe I'm em- able to empathize a little bit more with the, the guy that can't really move that great through the hips or the spine, because it's something that I've struggled with myself. Yeah, no, it definitely gives you a different uh, perspective on, on things. And that's, you know, something I, I talk with people that, you know, I have a knee injury from, from football, uh, American football. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that I always like tie into with people I'm working with and they have knee issues. And I'm like, Hey, listen, this is, I know exactly what you're going through, blah, 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 all that stuff. And so it kind of gives you a diff- different perspective and really helps you to, to connect with you know, the, maybe the struggle that they're going through or just how they're, how they're kind of feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to, I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but let's go ahead and talk a little bit about, since we're talking about the hip, why don't we talk about a little bit of mobility stuff that you, you have found to be pretty effective for somebody that doesn't have good hip rotation. Just today I was working with a couple of gentlemen uh, who both can't can't rotate at the hips, and so obviously mm-hmm. that was a huge huge focus because they were like, "Yeah, it uh, really limits my uh, my swing." Yeah, so I mean, I, I think obviously, um, internal hip rotation obviously gets talked about quite a lot for for golf, um, and it is something that most people do do lack. We don't. We have the hip joint. Obviously, it's an amazing kind of ball and socket joint. It's, it's designed to do all these things, but we don't really move or explore movement. And we don't use that, the capacity that that hip has um, in our everyday lives. And then obviously, over time, that kind of that capacity diminishes slightly. And in terms of kind of, Mobility wise, I suppose I'm a less of a fan of kind of the stretching side of things. I'm I'm not a huge um, kind of believer in lots of static stretches, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm I'm more a mobility, I suppose, control in the range of motion that I have. Um, So my view on my left hip is it's never going to have amazing range of motion, but I want to be able to at least access the range of that range of motion, be strong there, be able to control um, the rather limited range of motion that I have um, and really own that range of motion. Um, so I, I think 
in terms of mobility for golf, certainly there's this narrative that more and more and more is better, that you, you always need to be cha- chasing more range of motion. Um, I, I, I don't really subscribe to that. Um, I think range of motion for golf, you, you need to have reasonable range of motion, obviously. You, you do. Um, but it's not a case of more and more is better. Once, once you have enough to impact on golf performance, you maybe want to have a look at more um, strength and power. Um, and even when we're talking about mobility, I, I like still that element of strength and control um, in mobility. So I'm not just kind of, where can you get that to? Like where... Um, not how much range of motion like someone can move you to. I, I like to have that con- that person have that the control themselves over their range of motion, really kind of own it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on this the stretching aspect as well as you know really more important is controlling what is is available there. You know, working with junior athletes and you see some of the tend to be more of the uh, girls that mm-hmm. super just like plop here and there. And then it's like, okay, well, you, can you control that? And whether it's like uh, like kind of the toe touches or something like that, where they can just like fold in half and, and you know, palm the floor or something along those lines. And you go, okay, but how can you control that using, you know, maybe like in a deadlift type, type movements and stuff like that. And you see, you see that's where they're, where they're lacking versus that, that flexibility. And so they don't have that mobility aspect yeah no i i completely agree um i i just think in in the golf fitness world i I don't really like that term but i know it's in my name but um it kind of we have this idea of you need to be really really mobile to swing a golf club um and you you don't really i mean obviously i have quite a limited left hip internal rotation it i can still play good golf um So I, I think when we're talking about mobility um, for golf, it's just generally, do you have kind of reasonable motion, um, particularly through the hips, um, kind of the thorax area, the shoulders? Um, can you move reasonably well and, and can you control them? And do you actually move them? Like if you, obviously, if you're moving them more often, they're generally going to be probably healthier joints, which I'm a big fan of. Although most of my client, obviously all my clients come and see me for golf performance. And I'm a big fan of not just thinking so narrow mindedly in terms of golf performance and of, if you've got joints that move pretty well um, and they're, they're healthy, that's going to help you off the course as well. It's going to help you everyday life. Um, and for a lot of people, and maybe unless golf is your profession, at the end of the day, that's probably going to be the slightly more important thing for most people. Right, right. And, you know, you're mentioning, do you need more mobility? And we can look at the PGA Tour Pro, or yeah, PGA Tour and some of the pros there. And you see John Rahm with his, what most people would probably call a three-quarter swing, or um, Tony Finau would be another example where – they're not, they're not the Adam Scott's or the DJs where it's like wrapping around their body to, to hit the golf ball. So you can definitely play with, with,
minimal or less mobility. I don't want to say minimal mobility, but there's got to be, I agree with you, you got to be have that. There's a certain amount that you do need, but mm-hmm. there's always swing changes. And I think recently seen TPI kind of put out a little thing about, it was Max Homa's swing and how little changes that they made according to, you know, some of his mobility aspects. His, I think, was mostly regarding like the lats and not being able to get his arms overhead as much as his swing was requiring that affected his control at impact. So, yeah, I, th- I think knowing those where you have limitations is really helpful. Um, and that can help you make changes or kind of make moves in your swing um, that best suit yourself. I mean, we all move, we all move differently there's I, i'm not really a prescriber of kind of perfect range of motion perfect movement and um, uh, to me that kind of thing doesn't exist and um, we all we all have our little kind of differences and how we move um and it's affected by lots of different things as well um so whenever i'm kind of looking for um working with a golfer who wants to maybe improve range of motion, they, they have this perception that if they improve range of motion, then that's going to immediately impact upon kind of their swing. But I, I think there needs to be a little bit more thought behind it. Like the example that you're saying, that, that's, that's a good example of people working in different areas, kind of coming together and forming a, a solution. And a, a golfer just coming in, I can't do this. I need to improve this and that. Then this will happen in my golf swing. It tends not to quite work as, as simple as, as that, sadly. It'd be easier if it did work quite that simple, but it, it tends not to. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll, we'll uh, get off this, this little, we'll say, tangent here and move on to <laughs> What, what we were originally going to talk about with regards to the weather starting to get a little bit nicer. Today's like the first day that we've gotten above like 65 here in Virginia um, in, you know, since probably like November or something like that. So it's a little bit nicer here. Maybe some other parts of the world are still a little colder, but also people are coming out of some of the lockdowns around the world. Um, like we were talking about before, you guys are still in a lockdown there and in your neck of the woods uh, across the pond. But what what should people what should golfers be taking into consideration before just going out and, and, and playing after not really having the opportunity to play a whole lot? Yeah, I think this is something that's really important. I think it, it gets overlooked a lot in kind of the golf fitness world. We talk a lot about power and speed creation. Um, but one of the, the main fundamentals of fitness should be about injury prevention um and i i do have a concern that there's gonna we're gonna see some spikes in kind of injury rates amongst golfers um as we come out of lockdowns particularly over here so in the uk we've been in lockdown since kind of start of january golf courses are going to open at the end of march so you're going to have a three-month gap there where no one has played golf um and then as soon as golf courses open, obviously the, the weather is improving. You're going to have people flock into the golf courses, 
go into the driving range, you're going to essentially have a golfer. There's a scenario where you have a golfer that really hasn't swung a club for three months um, who is then going to go out on week one with all the excitement. They're probably going to play 18 holes Saturday, Sunday. They're going to go to the range a couple of times. They might try and play nine holes after work. They're going to go from zero swings for three months to probably a thousand swings in a week. And by the time you include actual shots, practice swings, all that kind of stuff. Um, And we know, not just from golf, but from all other sports, generally speaking, you you don't want to spike workload or total volume too quickly. Um, Probably the the classic example of that is the the January runner. Maybe hasn't really done much. New Year's goal, I'm going to start running. Takes up running, goes out, blasts a couple of 5, 10Ks and then can't move for a few weeks because foot ankle calves um and i can see that happening in golf like the, the in the excitement to get back out people are just gonna they're gonna go too hard too early um and then th- that swing volume is just gonna spike so dramatically um that the body might not be ready for it so what i'm kind of telling all my my clients at the minute is to try and over the next few weeks, try and even if just at home, doesn't even have to be with a golf ball, just trying to make some swings, trying to gradually increase their swing volume week on week over the next few weeks so that when they golf courses do reopen and we get back on, onto the golf course, they're not going from zero swings a week to a thousand swings a week. It's a, a far less steep incline. Um, and also being a kind of appreciative of it's a long season. Um, although there is that immediate rush to want to get out there because we haven't been out there for a while, um, maybe ease yourself back in. That's not a popular opinion, I know. But rather than maybe playing three or four times in that first week, maybe just play twice and then kind of ease yourself back in a little bit more gradually. Um, because... The worst thing you can do if you haven't played golf for three months is to go out, go too fast early on, and then pick up a little niggly injury and have to miss more of the, the season, especially when it's so nice out. Um, so I, I, I'm a, a fan of taking a more cautious route back in for people just so that they can gradually increase that that swing volume. So we, we know kind of, obviously... Overuse injuries are the most prevalent in golf. Um, anytime you have that that big spike in um, workload, it might be more than what the body can kind of cope with. So hopefully, obviously, my clients will be doing strength training alongside that. But if there's a golfer out there that isn't doing strength training, um, certainly that would be a, a thing to try and add in between now and getting back out onto the golf course because we know strength training, obviously is a great way to reduce overuse injuries. So I, I think they're the main two things. Try and get yourself stronger and get a body that can cope more and then maybe just watch that that workload and don't let it kind of rise too quickly. Yeah, and I agree 100%. Uh, I, you mentioned the running, and I haven't ran outside, obviously because of the winter, and I got out yesterday, and 
normally at my house, I take uh, two to three laps around, we'll say the block, it's not really a block, but a little loop here at my, around my neighborhood. And I did one loop and I was like, I'm going to call it good today. Cause if I hope to get out in the nicer weather later this week, um, I don't want to overdo it. And, and today, even though I only did one loop and I'm, I used to do two or three, uh, you know, towards the end of the last summer and, and whatnot, my, my calves and my quads are just, just a little bit sore. So I'm like, okay, uh, obviously I, 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 taking my advice, it was kind of, uh, a blow to my ego maybe, <laughs> but, yeah, I feeling like that's better. And I've been given a lot of the same advice to, to some of my golfers, you know, Think about what do you need to be able to do to play 18? If, if you are, you know, let's say your typical club or your typical course is, is going to have 12 drivers, full drivers, you know, and then the rest, you're going to have a handful of uh, long irons and a whole lot of chips and putts. So what do you really need to be able to do to play 18, 18 holes? Well, you need to, get in a bunch of swings or you know, chipping and whatnot. So that's something you can pretty much easily do inside. I've got one space where I can get up to about a seven iron and a full swing. If I get any, any, any longer of an iron, it, I start hitting ceiling or wall or, or something. So I've been doing some swings <laughs> what I can. I haven't been able to get driver swings in, but I know I'm at least getting some swings. So I'm getting that movement and, and whatnot. So I know that's kind of preparation. So I like that advice of, find some way to get a swing in here and there so that you're not going from zero to a thousand, like you said. Yeah, uh, I, I think, I think that's exactly right. And I, I think people can see the logic in it. It's not, it's nothing crazy. It just, requ- it, it just requires a little bit of planning and a little bit of time. I mean, it doesn't take long to, if you can get 20 swings in a day, for example, it's not going to take very long, but, that, that will add up. At least now you're going from 140 swings rather than zero. Um, it, if you can put in a little bit of, of work now, um, it, it should pay off when the, the season comes around. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you mentioned the, the strength side. Of course, it just builds you a, a resilient body that keeps you from getting overuse. And we always talk about golf's like, 80% something like that of overuse injuries. And, and so, well, that's back or, you know, forearm, wrist, shoulder type, type injuries, knee injuries. So let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, some of your recommendations with regards to uh, returning to golf. Maybe that's including, you know, what kind of exercise to do to kind of prep that or a warm up type stuff, uh, whatever you kind of, oftentimes give when hey you're going out to play for the first time here's what you should uh consider yeah i I think a warm-up is one of the lowest hanging fruits for golfers Uh, it it still amazes me how many golfers um even at quite a high level don't warm up um it's something that you just don't see in other sports um you would never dream of seeing a, I mean, to use an American example, you'd never see someone step on an NFL field with just going out cold. Um, but you see it all the time on golf courses, um, even at quite high level, really. 
um, to just try and get into the habit of doing, but particularly if you, you haven't played for a while. Um, and it doesn't need to be, again, it doesn't need to be anything crazy, kind of five, 10 minutes, um, mobilizing things up, but mainly thinking about kind of getting a little bit of the heart rate up, getting the blood flowing around the body and trying to think about preparing the body for an explosive motion. So the golf swing is an explosive motion. I think people get slightly confused because why do I need to go and warm up for a walk around kind of four or five miles? Obviously, I know in America, a lot of times you're in carts anyway. So people yeah. are like, well, why do I need to warm up for that? Um, but it's, it's the motion of swinging a golf club that you want to warm up for. Um, and I always try and frame it more in a performance side of view. Um, if people feel like they're costing themselves shots because they don't warm up, they might be more inclined to do it. Um, so obviously the, there is research out there showing that if you kind of, if you warm up properly, dynamic and resistance based, that you can kind of get those a little bit extra swing speed, potentially a little bit more carry on the, on the driver, but just being ready to, to go from hole one. Um, there's, there's so many golfers out there who you hear it in the, the clubhouse afterwards. So I, I played well from once I got into the round on the third or the fourth and it's, it shouldn't be that way. You should be ready. You should be able to go from that, from that first tee shot. Um, so I, I think a warm up is, is a huge thing. Um, and even more so when you're, you're kind of coming back um, after a break. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's just so, like you said, low-hanging fruit and so super easy. Uh, I think I was just listening to a podcast that had uh, Pedro Harrington on it. And he was he was saying, you know, when he was younger days, he'd spend, I don't know, it was, what, it was like an hour to an hour and a half kind of prepping for a round. Now as he's gotten older, which I thought was kind of funny, he's like, I've learned that I don't need that much time prep like to prepare. I just need to go out and do a good 20 minute warm up and I'll be ready to go. And, but anyways, you know, even something as simple as that, where he can, you know, he's a professional does for a living. That's how he makes a, that's how he makes his money. And seeing the importance of, of that warm up, even as uh, he gets older in particular, and usually I would feel like that would be the opposite. You would have seen like the shorter warm up as younger and then a bigger warm up as you got older, but, but still, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the importance of, of getting that body prepped is, is something that I think most people are lacking. And I know I've been on the course warming up. It was, uh, I was actually at a course in Florida uh, when I'm visiting my wife's family and I doing a warm up before the fourth hole. And, you know, these old guys drive past me and they go, Oh, you don't need that. Come on. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, so. no, I think that there is that mentality in golf. Um, I mean, I've worked with, with county squads, so that would be like the equivalent of, like, I suppose, like states in America. Obviously, our counties are much smaller, but the, kind of like the elite level of the local golfers. And I mean, I've worked with, with those squads before on implementing a warm-up, and they've played matches where the other, the other squad is kind of looking at them and almost like laughing, like, what, what are they doing? Yeah. Um, and I mean, these are all, these are all like scratch plus figure golfers, um, and it, they're almost like being criticized for warming up. 
Um, I think that mentality is is changing now, but it's it certainly is still there that there's this perception of golfers don't need to warm up. Um, and if you are the person warming up at a golf course, you're still the anomaly. Um, if you went to a your local golf club for a medal on a on a Saturday, you're not gonna you're not gonna see a bunch of people on the the range or the putting green before they go out warming up. Um, it's just something that people don't do, um, and it, it it's something that pretty much every golfer, if they've done it, they're at least going to give themselves a better chance to perform. Um, golf's an odd game, obviously. There's so many variables at play. Um, this is something that I kind of stress to clients quite a lot. There's so many variables during a round of golf, like whether our swing is on, whether the ball, obviously sometimes it goes in, sometimes it lips out, whether we hit that shot and it just gets a gust of wind and it comes up in a bunker, the next day it might be three foot from the pit. There's so many things we can't control on a golf course, but are we prepared to play because we've warmed up? Are we taking on enough water or fluids while we're on the golf course? Are we eating properly while we're on the golf course? Just like really basic things. Um, But they're basic, but there's still 90% of golfers aren't doing them. So if you are doing them, you're, you're gaining an advantage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, why don't we actually talk a little bit about about those those you know low hanging fruit that you just mentioned, the variables that you can control, uh, and touch on that just a little bit. So, water recommendation. Obviously, right now, uh, most places are a little bit cooler, so you're not probably sweating as much. I and mean, granted, there's Florida; they're still getting pretty nice weather, and some of the parts in southern uh, southern United States and you know, Southern hemisphere, I guess, but what are, what are some of your recommendations there from a water standpoint? Yeah, I think that's quite an individual thing, depending on obviously the person, the golf course, whether you're in a cart, whether you're walking and temperature, humidity, or there's, there's so many variables in, in play, obviously. Um, I, I would say as a general statement, golfers, don't drink enough and um, there's always going to be outliers um, but I, I would feel pretty pretty confident in saying that 90 percent plus of golfers aren't taking in enough fluid while they're on the golf course and um, one of the things I, I try and again get across to clients is between every green once you've finished putting and the next tee try and get in a little bit of water, just try and get into that habit of just getting a little bit of fluid on board at the end of every hole before the start of the next hole. It will, it will soon add up really. Um, now, obviously we don't have to deal with it too much over here in the UK, but I know probably certain parts of America um, where the temperature is very high, the humidity is up, water might not be the best kind of option. Um, you might want kind of, hydration salts and stuff like that um but we don't i don't really have to have that conversation with clients over here unless obviously they're professional and they're playing abroad and um, but normally for my uk clients I, I just go with water and i just just say just try and get little and often in probably the end of end of each hole and try and get into the habit of doing it and um, because i think golfers are quite good at taking a water bottle out 
it just normally stays in the bag and doesn't get used. Yeah, exactly. That's what almost always I see is oh, there's a water bottle, whether it's in the cart or in the bag. And then by the time it's all warm and you're not going to want to drink it anyways. So, but I, I think I use that same kind of recommendation, you know, a couple of sips between holes or, or as you're, as you're walking uh, to your next shot or something like that on each hole, then, you know, by the end of the round, you've, you've had a bottle or two uh, to keep that hydration up and not lose the, the benefits of being hydrated. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's something that people, again, people don't appreciate. Um, I, I think that's, you only have to be one to 2% dehydrated for it to start affecting kind of cognitive performance. So golf is such a mental game. Um, you, again, you want to give yourself the best chance to perform. If, if you're on the golf course and you're a little bit kind of dehydrated, you're not thinking clearly, you, you might take the wrong club off the tee. Shots can add up really quickly. You take the wrong club off the tee, cost yourself a couple of shots. I've played golf enough to know that that probably lasts for a few holes. <laughs> Suddenly you, you can kind of derail around um, and you people probably wouldn't link it back to the fact that they just hadn't taken enough water on board and they made a silly decision. Right. Yeah. So let's go touch on the, the food aspect here, maybe a little bit. And uh, what are, what are some like top kind of go-to things that you recommend for people to, to have in the bag for snack or to keep their energy up? Yeah. So I, again, I think that's something that probably people under, under kind of consume and uh, maybe not quite the same as the water, but I, I'd be willing to bet that most golfers probably under eat on the golf course versus the ones that overeat. Um, I generally try and recommend maybe free snacking opportunities, maybe midway through the front nine, something at the turn, and then maybe midway through the back nine. Um, obviously, a, a golfer is not going to want to take on a full meal while they're on the golf course. Um, so it, it's more kind of the, the snack-based things that they're looking for, that kind of ease of consumption. Um, so I'm... I tend to go with kind of where the golfer likes on that. Um, obviously, nutrition is a quite a debated topic. A lot of people have some very strong opinions on that. So I, I have golfers that are on, they have kind of keto views. I have golfers that have kind of low fat views. Um, so I, I think when you're on the golf course, you kind of want to maybe stick to what you know Um but I would always try and stress the importance of probably trying to get a little bit of protein on board while you're out on the golf course. And my personal preference would be for more kind of carbohydrates as the main with a little bit of protein and fat. But I I would, if I have a client who is kind of quite strong, obviously keto, they're not going to have obviously the carbohydrates on the golf course. And, and, And that's fair enough. I would, I would rather they just get in, um, the energy and um, so in terms of kind of snack options probably obviously fruit is always kind of quite a nice one but probably having things with fruit so maybe some nuts and um, 
like a, a chicken wrap, things like that. I don't think it has to be anything too crazy. Um, a, a protein bar. Um, on that one, I, w- I would just kind of have the caveat of making sure it's a, a quality bar. Obviously, a lot of the, the protein and cereal bars are pretty much just kind of glorified candy, really. Um, so if, if you are going to have a bar, just try and have maybe a slightly better quality one. Um, I know in America, obviously, you have kind of the, the jerky, which is obviously a great protein source. Um, so, so those kind of things. But I, I would say stick into foods that, that you know, that you enjoy and that you are going to consume. One of the mistakes probably golfers make, or people generally make in nutrition, I'd say is aiming too high. And they try and make changes that are so far removed from where they are currently at. And you see that all the time with, you know, the the new year, new me kind of movement. Um, Their their nutrition is probably quite poor, obviously around Christmas, New Year. If you're in America, obviously you've got Thanksgiving as well. So that kind of November, December time tends to be some, some pretty poor nutritional kind of outlook for a lot of people. And then they get to January and they try and eat like an Olympic athlete. And it's, it's so far removed from where they are. It's not, it's not sustainable. And so I would say if you're a golfer and you don't normally eat on the golf course, rather than kind of aiming for, you know, amazing nutrition on the golf course, just try and do slightly better than where you're at at the minute. Just take where you're at and try and see if you can improve it. And if you can consistently do that, then look at it again and see if you can make a couple more changes to, to improve it. Um, because I think if you try and do too much too soon on that thing, you'll, you'll become discouraged. You won't want to do it and you'll just revert back to eating nothing or kind of whatever you were doing before. Yeah. And no, I think that's, that's very true. I mean, you see all the new year's resolutions and those are done by uh mid-January if not February so they don't last very long because they're so drastic of a change you know the little changes where that I've made personally where it's like okay try drinking more water all right what I'm going to do is just you drink a little drink a cup of water at meals and like okay something very simple of okay a cup of water when I'm eating my food make sure I drink that down okay that keeps me from eating too much food there's my help my diet, help my hydration, keeping the the amount of calories I'm getting in. And so that's something simple or it's like, okay, I'm going to go on a 10 minute walk or, or or whatever. And those are, those are just little things that you can kind of work on on those goals because so many people go, okay, yeah, I'm going to start doing the keto diet or or whatever diet it may be. And then you get so ingrained or uh, so frustrated with it because, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that because it's just so different than what you're used to doing. Yeah, right. that, uh, that's exactly my kind of my kind of take on it, really. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, move on to swing speed. You you mentioned that's the that's the hot topic. It's what everybody wants to talk about, and and that's what you see all over all over the uh, the web. And so, what kind of requirements or recommendations do you you have for golfers that are looking to do swing speed programs? And you know whether it's like through the Orange Whip or Speed Sticks or the the, the Stack System, some of these training aid programs or training speed training programs 
Yeah, so obviously any golfer that embarks on a, a fitness journey, then speed is the number one priority. And even if they're not on a fitness journey, they, speed tends to be what they're, they're after. Um, now, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of these various systems. Um, I have super speed. Um, I have stack system. So I, I like these kind of things. Um, I just think they have to have their place. And golfers just need to be more aware of where that is. And they are not a quick, I, to me, they shouldn't be used as a quick fix solution. Um, which if, if we give this example of like a your average, maybe male golfer, maybe swings about a hundred miles an hour and maybe doesn't train, doesn't engage in strength or physical training. They, they see, right. I'm going to get an overspeed system. I'm going to gain five, 10 mile an hour. And then I can, I don't have to do all this, the gym work. I don't have to do the fitness side of things. I'll just gain the speed. And, and I think that's a kind of a dangerous mindset for people to get in. Um, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier about kind of in terms of injury, kind of the body has a capacity that it can kind of cope with. Um, and whenever we're doing things, we're putting kind of demands onto that system. Um, if your body is used to swinging at a hundred mile an hour, and then you use a speed system and you start swinging at 105 mile an hour and you haven't changed the body, you haven't improved um, the capacity of the body, it's not a more robust body, you're essentially, you're kind of asking for an injury there, in my opinion. Um, now, as well as the fact that you're going to be increasing the, the volume of, of swings you're making, because obviously you're now using the speed system as well. Um, so... I'm a fan of them. I, I just think they need to be used properly. Um, they, to me, they should be used kind of sparingly. I, I wouldn't use them 52 weeks of the year. I'd probably use them in phases. And they should always, in my opinion, be utilized alongside a proper strength conditioning program. And um, just so that you, your body is able to cope with the speed, but also to maximize your, your gains out of it. I mean, speed is like when you're doing that kind of speed training, you're, you're trying to work on that top end speed. But if you, if you're a strong, if you have a stronger golfer, they have more speed potential anyway. So they have, not only can they get more out of the speed work, but also it's safer for, the, for them to do as well. Yeah, exactly. Again, that resiliency comes back with the, with the strength training. And so you help build that, there and if you're not used to doing you know volume of activity heading swing speed you 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 do run that risk of of being injured of not being able to really control that speed uh, you don't get as much bang for your buck when when you aren't mobile and strong in order to improve that speed so those that have improved had the biggest improvements have always been ones that are haven't put that intention to swinging faster or and have been working on a mobility and strength training program in my experience. So I agree. Let's move on to our mulligan round. So this is a newer part of the segment that we've newer segment that we added into the podcast here. For those who don't know, we ask quick questions just to get first thoughts. And uh, Jamie here will have one opportunity to use a mulligan or to skip a question 
if he so chooses. Nothing uh, too crazy here. So what's your favorite club in the bag? My putter. And right. um, yeah, easy. Um, I've always been a good putter. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I can hold pretty much most things. So if, if you can get have? me to the green. Um, I have an, an Odyssey um, putter that I, God, I've had for like six, seven years. Um, I'm not someone that changes golf clubs that much. Um, I'm happy with my putter. And I feel like I, I can put pretty pretty consistently. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to keep rolling with it. Yeah, comfort's the most important. I don't change my clubs very often either. Uh, what's your worst club in the bag? I would say probably my most inconsistent would be my driver. Um, so, I mean, I, I can generate a pretty good amount of speed and distance, and it's keeping that in play that would be more of a, the issue. Um, so I'd say it's a slightly more love-hate relationship with my driver. When it's going straight, it, it might even it. resemble my favorite club. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but some sadly it doesn't go like that all the time so we'll, we'll put it there so basically you're telling me you're like jordan spieth I, I would i would say that would probably be if i could resonate with any golfer on tour it would be spieth and um, sometimes you can see me make some ridiculous putts but sadly they may be for a par after being in a hazard <laughs> yeah exactly i think that's what makes him so likable is everybody can resonate with with his spreading of the driver you know, we can't quite resonate with his amazing uh, recovery skills, but, you know. Oh, how about what's your, what's your best round? Um, I think my best 18 is 65, 7 under. And I have shot 29 for nine holes before, which I'm, I'm quite pleased with. Wow. Um, it was on a par 35, but yeah. And that included a bogey as well. So. <laughs> Jeez, that's pretty awesome. Uh, you prefer a dew sweeper or a shadow chaser in the morning or the afternoon playing golf? Um, I'd probably go afternoon, yeah. I, 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 I tend, to, tend to be more of an afternoon golfer, so I certainly won't be the, the one that's there at half six, seven in the morning, first on the tee. So, yeah, either late morning or kind of afternoon. All right. What's your favorite snack on the course since we were talking about some food options? Ooh, good question. Um, probably some kind of protein, protein bar. Um, I, yeah, I think they can, they can taste pretty good and they're quite easy to consume. So, um, yeah, some kind of like chocolate protein bar. Um, not too much of a, a candy snack, more of a protein but they're kind of they make them pretty good now so yeah something like that uh favorite exercise or drill that you use to help your personal game oh like a, a speed i i'd say probably like i'm quite a big fan of step drills i know they're used in like a lot of the speed protocols for for certain things um but i find them really helpful from a technical point of view as well like the the step drill, the, the heel stomp, that kind of thing. Um, I find they, they really useful for my, for me, from a, from a technical point of view. Yeah. Yeah. I like those too. 
what's the takeaway you want from our listeners to have from today's conversation? I'd say maybe do the basics well, like take, take control of what, of the variables that you can control. Like if, if you get nothing out of today, if you can warm up properly and eat and drink on the golf course and just be mindful of kind of volume. So you don't, you don't have to like track it or anything, but just, just be aware of doing too much too quickly and, nothing kind of too complicated, but I, I think a lot of times the basics just get overlooked and um, they, they should be, we should always aim to kind of master the basics. Yep. Yep. You see like all the experts, they're all, you know, whether it's a professional golfers or whatever, they're really good at a lot of the basics, basics there. So I love that idea. Thank you, Jamie, for coming on today. Before we, we end this, Tell us how we can follow you and keep up with what you're doing. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so I, I'm on social media. I'm quite active on social media. I post a lot of content, a lot of my thoughts around golf fitness and golf. Um, so JG Golf Fitness on Twitter. I'm on Instagram as JG underscore golf fitness. Um, and I also have my website jggolffitness.co.uk and there's articles on there and and then there's kind of information again helpful information um, and then there's also kind of my golf fitness app as well that you can purchase directly from my website all right and i will vouch you know jamie's got awesome awesome articles awesome videos for helping you with your fitness so go check those out i'll have that in the show notes but that is it for this episode of the golf under par podcast Thank you so much, Jamie, and thank you listeners for for giving us your time. Remember, consistency leads to greatness. Take care. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.